What is going on, guys? Welcome to ID Podcast. We are happy to have you here today. And if you are a first-time listener, we used to do it every show, and we haven't been doing it. We're like, we probably got a lot of new listeners. So tell you a little bit about the show. We interview the world's leading relationship experts. So whether you're single, married, dating, or in a relationship, there's going to be great stuff for you here on I Do Podcast. So thank you for joining us. And we want to start today's show with some exciting news. We are, as you know, if you've been listening, living in Costa Rica, and we love it so much down here. And we've been talking about doing something like this for a while now, and we are going to be hosting a Costa Rica couples retreat. Yeah, Yeah. we're going to be hosting it at the beginning of March. So this gives you uh, a couple months to decide if this is something that you guys are interested in. We've been getting a lot of feedback from you and a retreat was something that so many of you said that you would be interested in. So we've decided to go for it. Yeah. So what is a Costa Rica's couples retreat? So the whole idea is, as we know from many of our guests and relationship experts, that doing new and exciting things is a great way to reinvigorate or to spark a relationship or make you happy and healthy in your relationship. So Sarah and I are down here and there's just Everywhere we look, there's new and exciting things for us. And so with this retreat, we'll be doing stuff like horseback riding, ATV, four-wheeler tours, surf lessons, um, nature tours. There's monkeys everywhere around here. That's super cool. Uh, hikes, waterfall hikes, and of course, daily relationship exercises where we, we will work on communication skills, um, how to better relate to your partner, love languages, a lot of great stuff that we've talked about on the show. And we'll do a little bit of that each day as well. And we'll get to meet you guys and hang out for the week. So that will be a fun and exciting thing. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful here and we are enjoying it so much. And we know you guys will too. And if you are still thinking of holiday gifts for your loved one and you're just not quite sure what to get him or her, then this is a great opportunity, a great gift for the holidays. And since it's at the beginning of March, it can be a late Valentine's Day holiday combination gift too. There you go. And Sarah has got all of the links and information on the website, or if you go into the show notes here in the uh, episode description, you'll be able to go right there, sign up, reserve your spot, and come down here and visit beautiful Costa Rica. And along the way, make your relationship happy and healthy. If it isn't already, you'll just shore it up even more with lots of new and exciting things going on down here. And in today's show, we interviewed Dr. Michael Unger. Dr. Unger, I was joking with him uh, when we started the interview, but he is he has quite the resume. He is the Canada Research Chair in Child, Family, and Community Resilience at Dalhousie University. I think I got that pronunciation right. But he has written 
14 books that have been translated into five languages and has authored more than 150 scientific papers. So Dr. Unger is largely recognized as the world leader in the field of resilience and families and kids and is just a wealth of knowledge. And we loved having him on the show where we talked about a rather specific topic. And certainly if it relates to you, there's going to be a ton of gems in here. But even if you are not directly involved in a divorced blended family, um, there's some gems in here, I think, that are just really great for for family interaction and, and stuff like that. And he talks about how to navigate being a what's the best way to describe it? a divorced parent, yeah, yeah. And, and dating again, yeah. So, or if you're maybe you you haven't been married before, but you're joining a family, and now you're going to be a, a blended family, or you're just going into a relationship where you are now going to be a step-parent. Right. And maybe you don't have kids, but right. either way, Sarah and I both come from blended families. And uh, unfortunately, with the divorce rate over 50%, maybe 50% of you uh, that are married out there listening or were married have experienced this. So I know... Personally, as a kid that went went through it, being being the child of uh, divorced parents, there were some tough things, and and my parents did, uh, in retrospectively, a, a great job in navigating that. But it it can't be easy from their perspective, and and if you're listening and you're in that situation, it's got to be very tough. Not only dating and and everything involved around finding new love, but then you add kids to the equation. And it's not like you aren't um, romantically falling in love with the kids, but like potentially like loving these kids too. And they're part of the equation or, and then they may be resentful and and all sorts of things go on. So um, Dr. Unger really, uh, he is, like the world's leading expert on this topic. So he has a lot of great advice for how to navigate it. My favorite tip that Dr. Unger gave us was to not be the rule enforcer. Don't try to go into a new family dynamic and try to enforce rules and be an authority. And another point he makes is don't try to change the microculture of that family and try to go into things more smoothly. And you would think that that would kind of be a no-brainer for people, but some people's personalities are different and every family dynamic is different. So I think if you were to take one tip out of this interview is to Don't try to be an authority figure when you are going into a new relationship with kids. Yeah, and in the beginning that might be the case, but then you can you can set boundaries and he clarifies and and that you need to establish um Obviously, there needs to be respect, but yeah, right off the bat, you don't want to come in like a parental figure and lay out all these rules. And as Sarah mentioned, and Dr. Unger describes that every family has a, a culture and he, your family might be really into watching football and now a, a step parental figure, step um, parent comes in and, and they don't really, they're not into football, but if they participate and just 
kind of go along because that's part of that family culture. That's every Sunday. It's all about football. Then that's going to help everything sort of go more smoothly and you're going to become more integrated into that family. Yeah. Don't try to change the channel. That probably would not be a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Don't change the channel on Football Sunday. So uh, lots of great stuff. Obviously, like we said, every family dynamic is going to be different. The kids will be different ages uh, when when you're dating. Um, uh, dealing with a three-year-old and when you're a divorced parent, as opposed to a teenager, is going to be a lot different. And I know coming from a blended family that I just look back at it and very thankful that my parents were able to navigate it the way that they did and, and just retrospectively looking back at it and, and it's got to be so hard. So to all you out there that are doing that, good on you. And there's a lot of great stuff in today's episode that'll help you navigate dating or if you're in a long-term relationship with a new partner on a, on a second marriage or a second relationship and you have kids, uh, Dr. Unger is really the world's leading expert on this uh, particular resilience uh, within the family. So a lot of great stuff in today's episode. And for those of you who want to learn more about our Costa Rica couples retreat, you can head on over to our website at idopodcast.com or click on the link in the podcast description for more information. And as always, we appreciate you guys so much for listening and for leaving us those five-star reviews. We like those. (laughs) We appreciate uh, all of you guys listening, like Sarah said, and it is really nice when we get those emails and, and Facebook messages. Oh yeah. Join that, the, the Facebook love tribe group. Yeah. Our love tribe. That is jamming. Yes. Yeah, join that for just to continue the conversation and for just some community support. And we hope you guys enjoy today's episode. Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company that lets you choose from over 1,500 licensed therapists. Get matched with your perfect therapist today by visiting Talkspace.com forward slash I do. That's Talkspace.com forward slash I do. Mike, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. A real pleasure. Nice to be here. We've given our listeners a little overview. We've told them about your extensive work in the fields of helping people improve their relationships. I was joking with Sarah. I was like, geez, you need to, you need to do a little more. I mean, 150 scientific papers and 14 books is, is uh, kind of slack in there. <laughs> but, I joke I have a twin brother somewhere. Yeah, yeah you must, but it, it's really amazing. So we've given our listeners a little overview. Why don't you take a minute, tell us about yourself and why you love to do the work that you do. Oh, I, I, I was trained as a family therapist and a clinical social worker. And I think Jeff had this real passion for understanding not just sort of what causes stress and problems for families and, and indeed for children, but also years ago, I just got really interested in also this theme of resilience or how people coped in stressful situations in some very creative ways. And so that's really what I've been doing. I've been uh, working both as a family therapist, of course, but also as a as a uh, researcher in this field, always thinking about 
you know, kind of what gets me um, going in this topic is is trying to find that inspiration from those stories of people doing well, uh, even though their circumstances would say, well, you know, they're not really likely to to do very much with their life, but in fact, they do remarkable. And you, you can't help but think that, you know, children going through the stress of uh, where there's a marital discord or separation or divorce or something, you know, a lot of those children fit into that category. So I, that, that's that's mostly what I do. It's just sort of that's what is very exciting in my uh, particular, um, whether it's my clinical work or my research program. Yeah, it's uh, particularly interesting to myself and, and Sarah in a way, because we both came from, Sarah had a, uh, was raised by a single mom, and then my parents uh, were divorced when I was uh, 11, I believe. But And then since we've had blended families and, and dealt with everything that comes with that, so uh, definitely a lot of interesting stuff in this field that we're going to zero in on and talk about today. And that is how to navigate the, the trials and tribulations of being a parent and dating. And then maybe we can also talk about, uh, along the same lines of if you're recently divorced and I'm sure there's a lot of similar things, but why don't we start with if you're a, to our listeners out there who are a parent and they are dating um, and what are some of the biggest problems they might be facing? And then of course we'll talk about how to deal with that. Well, sure. And, and it's interesting because myself, I'm in a blended family and together my partner and I, we have five children. And you know, so she brought two in and I brought uh, I should say she brought three in and I brought two into this, uh, into the, into the relationship. So totally identify with this. Uh, but a lot of these issues that we're seeing in terms of these transitions are of course about the, whether or not the divorce itself or the separation causes children a disruption in their routines. So, you know, even as parents begin to think about the next phase of, you know, beginning to date and uh, have other people in their lives, of course, a lot of, the reactions of the kids to that is going to be on, well, how did it go in terms of the, the separation from the other parent? Uh, did they have to move houses? Did they have to change schools? Was there an appreciable drop in their economic uh, well-being of the family? You know, was Christmas suddenly a really stressful period in their lives and all these sort of, you know, holiday celebrations and that type of thing? Um, if, if there's a pattern of a lot of stress with the relationships, then, of course, the children are likely to be quite I think, well, reasonably so. They're going to be a little bit suspicious of anyone new coming into that relationship. Um, but every family is also going to be pretty different about this. So, um, you know, the, the, the good news here is that despite the stereotype almost that somehow, you know, families who go through divorces are always somehow damaged. They're, they're somehow the sole parent, like you were saying, sorry, you're, you're, you know, you're being raised in a single parent family, that somehow that's a, there's a touch of stigma to that. And in fact, there shouldn't be because, um, what we're understanding is that, that all kinds of family forms, no matter what they look like, actually raise kids to do incredibly well. Um, there's obviously a little more struggle, sometimes financial, sometimes emotional. But really, there's, there's none of these family forms necessarily mean that, that you, you know, the kids are going to necessarily turn out in, at, at higher risk or um, in more danger if the parents themselves um, pay attention to a few things that the kids themselves really need. So that's kind of an optimistic message I want to make sure people hear. And what would be those key things that the parents should pay attention to? Yeah, well, what we're actually thinking about is, um, I've been working actually with a doctor, a postdoc of mine as well, named uh, Dr. Uh, Kristen Hadfield. And 
you know, watching her work and my own, what we're understanding is that parents, you know, really want to think about the, from the kid's point of view, do they have things like, and these are some of the big resilience promoting factors. For instance, do they have structure? Do they have the basic routines in their, in their lives? And do they also have consequences so that, you know, even when you're going through the crisis or the challenge or they're getting, you know, if they're getting sort of verbally um, lippy to the, to the person you're dating or something, I mean, you think you have to really think about, you know, this is not healthy. This is not healthy to tolerate bad behavior and, and good families seem to sort of set reasonable boundaries and, and reasonable expectations on the kids before the crisis happens. So, you know, before the person comes over for dinner, it's like, okay, we're going to talk about how we're going to be civil to each other and how we're going to do this or else, you know, we're not going to do this or we're going to have a reasonable consequence that, that you know, like you, you, you won't be at the dinner table or I'm really sorry about this, but you know, the, or something that's going to happen later in the week, I won't, you know, if you're not able to help me with my relationships, then of course I'm going to have to sort of think about whether or not I have the time to take you to your friends or something like that. It's not necessarily punitive. The idea is to make it, make it so that, you know, you set some structure and it's up to the child to be able to live up to expectations. And also if there's a problem or they do something wrong, that they can actually fix, um, fix that problem. But probably the biggest thing that we, we know about also is this notion of if, if you've started dating somebody and you've brought your kids into that relationship as well, what we're understanding is that the children actually make a relationship with that new per that new partner. And I, I mean, that, that's like, uh, that's not like very scientific. I mean, you have, that kind of makes obvious sense, doesn't it? But what's interesting is when people break off those relationships, especially nowadays in this, what's what we're describing as serial monogamy, um, you know, there's kind of one monogamous relationship after another that as people, you know, go online and do a lot more dating and let's face it, this is getting extremely common now with the, with the divorce rates and the separation rates and this type of thing on the people just choosing not to marry at all. So you get this pattern of serial monogamy and your kids are basically wrapped up in that too, right? They're basically getting attached to new partners. And the question then becomes is if that relationship goes south and you get rid of it, do the kids still have a right to maintain some sort of contact with that person that they got connected to? And what we're hearing from the kids is probably yes. If you can say goodbye to that person in terms of a romantic relationship, but if you have a child who's connected with them, maybe through music or a sport activity, or they become the person that picked them up for something, and that person is still willing to play that role for your kid, it's probably better to give the child some, well, some sense of control, which kind of brings me to another one of these key, you know, we always talk about how do we make our kids more resilient? Well, you know, structure, consequences really solid, sustainable relationships. Those are three biggies. But another one, of course, is that the child has to have some say, some control over what they're experiencing. So just because you're, you know, <laughs> you know, sending them the boxes of whatever that person sort of moved into your space, maybe that, you know, all that stuff is going out to the curb. It doesn't mean that the child is necessarily ready to release that person from their life. Maybe no more so than they were ready to release that person um, their actual biological parent who, you know, when, when the relationship broke up uh, between their parents. And that's sort of make, I mean, I'm trying to, you know, make it very, very concrete, but, you know, it's kind of understanding it a little bit from the child's point of view and not just from our needs as the one doing the dating or one, you know, sort of seeking out the next relationship. Yeah, there's so much to unpack in these circumstances because they're, they're, like you said, they're all 
individual um, have their individual properties, but and there's a lot of complexity. And one of the things that I found personally, having gone through it as a kid and, and then seen, is that when my and it was, and I'd be curious to know if it if it goes along the sexes like this. But when my dad uh, started dating, I didn't really care for. I didn't really even want to meet the person, uh, the other women. I didn't care. Like I was very uh, against it. And my sister on the other side, when my mom was dating, was very (laughs) against it and had uh, quite some uh, epic episodes with my now stepdad uh, early on. And um, so anyways, what what I'm getting to is how can a parent First of all, explain to a child like, "Hey, I'm uh, I'm dating, and this is basically the way it's going to be." And how do you have that conversation? And then, how do you deal with a kid who is acting out against uh, you or or your new partner? They're great and big questions as well. Well, I, I think you're hinting at a few different things. I mean, of course, you're really hinting also at the timing. I, I was kind of you said that. Uh, uh, you were 11 years old, I think, when um, uh, this the, the, the divorce happened. So you're going to get, you know, a child who's 11 is going to be quite different than a child who's three or yep. six or, for that matter, 15 or 18. And each developmental phase, the child's going to, re- you know, going to potentially react to this in a really different way. I mean, you know, three-year-olds are much more likely to bond to the new parent much more quickly. Um, and they don't expect to have a say over who's living in their house. Eleven-year-olds tend to get into some pretty, you know, their their thinking patterns are pretty categorical. There's a right way and a wrong way to do things, and that's an age where they're pretty vulnerable to something like this. Was oh, this was not supposed to happen. This was not scripted. This is this is not right somehow, and they get into that kind of that kind of thinking. Very uh, interesting. So so each age is going to present different challenges to parents. That that's for sure. I I really do think that the parents who approach this with some genuineness with their kids. Um, you know, I've, I've seen this not only in my own experience, but also with um, uh, other parents that I've worked with and certainly know when they be more genuine. I mean, I'm, you know, to say, you know, I'm lonely and I'd like to have a special friend in my life. I'm thinking about this, obviously a conversation with a much sort of a younger child who's thinking about friends um, with an older, you know, an older teen who themselves might be getting romantically involved with someone or that type of thing. I mean, I think that, you know, you can have that conversation. I'm amazed that parents often are shy to make themselves, well, more vulnerable to their kids or to actually show their child how you have an adult conversation. We, we pester our children with questions all the time, right? We, we, they come home, we talk to them as if we're talking to, like, you know, someone that we work with, like, you know, our sub, uh, subordinate, like, you know, what did you do today? And are you going to do that? And did you take out the garbage? And will you feed the dog? And, the, you know, it's like, like, it's, it's a series of rapid fire questions rather than a genuine sharing of, wow, you know, that, that was a tough day at work. Uh, it was really stressful getting the groceries. Um, yeah, it is kind of difficult doing this all on my own. Like, you know, and I am a bit anxious. I mean, I don't, you don't get into what, how much is in your bank account and what your visa bills run up to or something with your kids. But, but you, th- this, this kind of more heartfelt, genuine conversation. And I think sometimes, you know, it, when kids feel like they actually can take care of their parents a little bit, not to the point of where it's like pathologized and, and really, you know, completely out of whack, 
But I do encourage parents to be a little more vulnerable to their kids in these tough situations because doing so will also show your kids that they can express their feelings. Um, so, I mean, you know, I know that some parents might cringe at that. So, oh my God, I, don't, I want to keep my power. I want to keep my distance from my kids that way. But, but in fact, you know, the, the kids might appreciate a little more genuineness in that relationship and that, that conversation. Um, and of course, you have to think about it a little bit also. Ask the child to, you know, if, if they, you know, if an older teen does not really want to spend time with your new partner, you know, it's, it's hard to say, but it probably is their right to choose and to exercise some control over that. I mean, again, my expectation would be that you'd say, okay, we have reasonable expectations of decorum. I don't know. I mean, if I invited my boss to dinner, we would treat them with a certain amount of respect. Even if you know that I hate my boss and you hate my boss, you would still show up at the table. You'd be, you know, a little bit polite. I think, I think we would expect that for any guest in our house, but whether or not the, the child's going to have a relationship with that person, I think often parents err to think that that's going to happen. That's got to be navigated by the child pushing for that. And in fact, a lot of what that's going to hinge is going to be um, also going to be hinged on whether or not there's another parent involved. I, I know when, when I, um, I uh, brought into my relationship, the, the youngest of the children that came into my relationship was eight years old at the time of our forming a new family. And his father, who lives very close by and is extremely active in his life, activities that really weren't part of my life. I mean, it was very obvious in that situation that my eight-year-old, my stepson, was really not going to accept a father figure very quickly because he had a very active dad already in his life. And I kind of, because I knew some of this research, I think I worked with enough families through this, I knew to just kind of say, okay, so what role am I going to play in this family with in, in, in regards to him? And I chose that sort of friendly uncle, you know, I'm kind of like that nice uncle who's around the house now and again. And for him, I think that was more comfortable. I wasn't trying to replace his father. And he wasn't asking for another father figure because he had one. Now, that's very different than if his father had um, been, you know, a very abusive man or, had, or, or if there had been a serious, you know, break in the relationship. There may have been a psychological and emotional space for me to come into that the same way as I, of course, do with my own biological children. Um, so I, I guess what I'm really hinting at here is, of course, this almost like a negotiation with the child, a certain amount of genuineness, seeing the world from the child's point of view somewhat, and what they need, and, and to let them exercise some control over the decisions about um, what the right attachment is going to be to you. Yeah, and like you said, there's so many different situations and those ones that you gave those examples uh, are, are valuable and I'm sure people will have encountered something like that um, already or, or in the future. And I think that the piece of advice to be vulnerable with your kids is, is a great one because I know, again, just going to my personal experience and in every kid, most kids, you look to your parents as these um, infallible, you know, superheroes, you know, when you're, when you're growing up and, and then you don't really realize that until, you know, you're a teenager, maybe even a little old, older, that there are people with emotions and, and, and <laughs> trials and tribulations too. Right. And I think, uh, when you basically let them know that, uh, hey, you know, I'm feeling lonely or, 
it, it can have a pretty profound impact. And obviously it depends on the age of the kid. And like you said, the circumstance, but being open uh, with your emotions in that sense is, uh, I think would be a really valuable thing. Oh, absolutely. And, and we also have to think about some of, I mean, um, the calmer we are as parents and the more supports we have, you know, our children respond to that, right? I mean, if we're feeling very well supported and uh, getting our needs met and we're able to then parent our children, um, even if it's in a blended family, um, those kinds of things that, you know, if, when you have just a good parent who's getting his or her needs met, you tend to just be able to parent better. You you know, you're a little bit less anxious. You're not stressing over maybe it's money or when the next, you know, who's going to cook dinner or the house being cleaned or you know, getting people, getting everyone in the family to where they need to go and the dog to the vet and, you know, whatever else is on your plate that particular day. Um, so, so lots to be said about that person that, you know, you're partnering with, that they, you know, in some ways it's okay for them to focus mostly on, on your needs. And that, that then that allows you the space to then look after your kids a bit better. Um, I think that I, I do, I do encounter families that have made that sort of critical mistake of quickly introducing a new person into the child's life before the child has said, I choose you to be in that role with me. And then, you know, they're basically, um, I mean, one of the biggest mistakes we, we, you know, you make as a step parent is trying to enforce rules that the child didn't negotiate with you that, you know, you're all of a sudden thrust in there and you're telling them, well, you know, we should, and you finish that sentence with something, whether it's emptying the dishwasher before you go to school or if it's, um, how you make your bed or don't make your bed or, uh, whatever you just, that, that's just basically putting the wrong uh, ingredients into that relationship. Uh, far better to, you know, walk a, a more delicate dance with the kids see what they want. And it could be actually that they would like someone to finally take some control of the household and say to them, yes, we're actually going to have some routines here. No cell phones at the dinner table. We are going to start functioning as a family again. And that could be the role of the step parent to come in and put some of those structures in place. But again, it's that, it's that reading the situation quite right. If, if the family has been in chaos and turmoil and there's been a lot of stress and, and all kinds of you know, um, threats to the, the, the health of the family, that's a gift from the step-parent. But if the family's been reasonably well-functioning and things are getting done and the kids are getting to school and everyone's kind of getting their chores done and the you know, homework done and everything else, and this parent comes in and wants to change those routines, don't ex- you know, I, the reasonable expectation is the children are going to rebel and get really uh, angry. Or, you know, and, 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 and these kinds of things. So it, 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 it's a funny one, isn't it? It's about getting the children's voices into this conversation and us as parents maybe having the humility to sort of step back and say, hmm, I might be making choices for the whole family in terms of the divorce or the separation and now a new partner. Um, but let's not forget that the kids are sort of being brought along and no one likes to be told, you know, this is how your life is going to be. Everyone pushes back in some way whether, you know, and that's, that's just classic social, sociological theory that we've known for decades. You, you lock people up in prisons and they're going to figure out some way of pushing back against the system. You get your kids into a situation where they're not happy or they're being told to do things that weren't part of the game plan. And they're going to figure out ways of sort of um, uh, subverting you and, and undermining your authority for sure. Besides enforcing rules, are there any big... I guess you can say no-nos that you don't want to do 
as somebody coming into a blended family that doesn't have the children, um, I know you said you were, you acted kind of like the big friendly uncle. And I think that's a great analogy to use because, you know, everybody loves the friendly uncle. So is there, is there any specific things that you do not recommend uh, besides enforcing rules? Well, I'd say there's a few other things, if I could mildly take that question and, and also talk about other positives, because every family does, you know, usually constructs for itself a, a set of identities, um, you know, that, that these are, this is who we are. Um, if you've ever watched, I think, you know, uh, the show, This Is Us. Yes. And there's a whole story about the <laughs> the father was a football fanatic, right? They just loved, mm-hmm. it, you know, that was part of the culture of the family was watching football on Sundays or whatever. And, you know, those little rituals that create an identity for a family, the, the no, I mean, the positive is for the person coming in to say, okay, this is, this is neat. I mean, I've got to sort of fit into this culture, this kind of little micro culture of the family and support this identity that they have, you know, these, these fans, now you can sort of slip in there. It doesn't mean you have to. You have to say root for the same team. It doesn't even mean that you have to like the sport. But the mistake would be coming in and challenging that and saying, you know, football is kind of stupid, or you know, completely undermining that piece of the routine, or getting jealous of it, which often happens for you know these where they, the, you know, a step parent will literally poison something because they'll say, well, you know, I don't want to do that. Or we should not do this anymore. Um, and whether that's uh, by going to a particular uh, faith community or a particular activity or, um, uh, you know, that every Christmas we would go someplace or every, uh, you know, every Hanukkah we had this celebration or whatever the, the situation was. So you don't want to, you know, you want to think in the positive of that is you want to understand the family's um, culture or, or, you know, how they, how they create an identity for themselves. But you also want to, you know, celebrate how they get a sense of belonging what are those routines over the holidays? What are those routines at birthdays? How do people connect to each other? And, you know, if, you know, how many bedtime stories do get read to that three-year-old? Well, those are all connective kind of activities. And again, the, the no-no is to interrupt those. Uh, better to sort of smoothly come into them and maybe add, put another layer on the cake rather than trying to bake a different dish altogether. Uh, is probably a little bit smarter, a little bit more in tune with what the what the children will accept um, in these in these kinds of transitions. So again, you can imagine a, a, a you know a family that goes through a divorce, even if that divorce was quite traumatic, but then introducing a new partner who fits into that identity of the family, who 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 doesn't disrupt their sense of belonging, the rituals that make them feel connected to each other who doesn't impose a lot of control on the family, but sort of works with the rules or if rules do have to get enforced, defer back to the parent who's the biological parent, um, but who also sort of sets some reasonable expectations for behavior and some reasonable consequences so that they, you know, you can't, you know, you can't swear at me, that type of thing as a step parent, that type of thing. You start getting those things and basic, just creating enough safety and support and, you know, stabilizing the home and where people are going to live. So the kids know that they're not going to have to move again. You get some of that stuff happening once you've kind of gone through. And generally, most families do very, very well. The kids settle down after a few months, depending on the age of the child. And they begin to appreciate, actually, the, the, that, that eventually they understand that their mom or their dad has found someone special in their life. And that, and that this person is actually, you know, helping their parent 
their biological parents stay stable and supported. And that's actually maybe better for them as well, because then that parent has more time to look after them. And if the kid can kind of make that connection, connecting those pearls on a string, they, they generally will fare very, very well. And in fact, show a remarkable amount of resilience as a consequence. Yeah, I think that's, you know, I'm speaking for Chase and his sister, but that's really what happened uh, with them and, and their stepdad. It, it, they set the mom and the stepdad set those expectations and those boundaries. And after a couple of months, it was, you know, smooth sailing. It was a good, smooth transition, right? Yeah, not at first, though. But <laughs> and, and that's, that's actually, and like I said, with me, it was fine. Like my mom, um, I, I, it was weird. I, do you find that, that with the opposite sex, like I didn't mind my mom dating, but um, my dad, it bothered me. Um, is that something you find common or the same sex? Uh, I, you know, I, I'm, I, I'd, that's a great question to ask a, a dozen therapists. I'd say. I, <laughs> I, I can't say as I've seen a consistent pattern, like I would sort of bank on, uh, you know, is there a sort of like, you know, boys resent dad dating and, and girls resent their moms dating. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I would, tend more to say it's about the relationship that you have with the parent and whether or not you feel that the person coming in is taking somehow that you're perceiving them as taking your parent away. And in the same way, by the way, and you know, who we, as children, who they blame for the divorce is often, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a toss up in terms of, you know, you know, girls would be up, girls would be upset sometimes with their mom and sometimes with their dad, depending on the circumstances of the leaving. Um, you know, I, I, I would more be inclined to just kind of try and again, think about it from the, the child's point of view, what aspect of this, or what is it about that personality that's making it more difficult? And of course there are personalities. Your stepfather, no doubt was, um, uh, you know, has certain characteristics that that doesn't jive, you know, every child sort of fits into different families. If only children could choose their families, they do very, very well, but they don't, they only get what they get. And, uh, you know, there's there's always that sense of, um, you know, can I, am I being matched well enough? Um, and again, I mean, I'm thinking my own experience, like I, I was, you know, uh, uh, watching, uh, sports on television was never a really big part of my life or when I was growing up for that matter. So my stepson, that is a big part of his life. So the trick wasn't necessarily to create resentment by, by turning the channel on him, we do actually have more than one television in the house, which solves this problem. But <laughs> the other, the other side of that is that, you know, if you were, you know, sort of forcing a change, that wouldn't make a lot of sense as opposed to, as again, thinking about it as I find it fascinating that when we're driving someplace, I'll turn on radio stations that he doesn't normally listen to. And often there's news items or something that I'm more interested in political news or whatever. Right. And he'll ask me questions. And I, I'm fairly confident that these are not questions he's asking his biological father. That in a sense, I've introduced to him something new as opposed to trying to take away something. Now, mind you, of course, there are expectations, right? I mean, um, if, if, if I'm cooking dinner, I still have the right to say to him, you know, uh, your mom's coming home in an hour from work. Uh, we're on dinner duty. I need you to set the table. I need you to empty the dishwasher. You have chores as well. Um, so, so there's that, there's that, there's that sense of, you know, introducing new, uh, that's what's so neat about bringing in a new person. And it's those things that actually, you know, if you're having that serial monogamy kind of experience where, you know, you're dating someone for six months or a year, 
and then and the relationships aren't working out. You know, I will say that can be pretty hard on the kids unless the kids, you know, can maintain sometimes um, some sort of contact if they want with the person that, you know, the, uh, even after the relationship ends. You've given us a lot of great stuff here in this first part. And obviously there's a ton of different circumstances and and knowledge to bring into these type of situations. Are there any other major things uh, that you want to leave our listeners with that that they can maybe practice or or think about when they are dating um, with kids? Probably the thing that I would I would say is one you know don't don't feel guilty right you have a you as a parent you have a right to form a new relationship. And in fact, the happier you are, even if your kids are surly and upset and that you're replacing the parents who's gone, don't, don't listen to that. You have a right to be happy and the happier you are and the more your life is stabilized, the better you will be as a parent. There's no doubt about that. Uh, not from the science or the research or, or even the clinical experience that I have. Um, but that said, make sure you're also sort of tuned into your kids. Make sure there's some time, some space for your children. You're doing double duty as a parent. And that step parent is not going to replace the parent who's no longer there. It's still going to be of the onus on you and your to be to be more present to your biological children. So um, you know, just be real careful that that, uh, that that next person in, you know, somehow that they they don't just sort of the, the expectation on the parents' point is that they don't just slip into that the, the you know the biological parent who's left that this new person this new step parent is not going to be a replacement. It's going to be somebody different in your children's lives. It's not the same as having the biological parent there. Great points there. And and now we got to move forward to the lasting love round, which will tweak slightly. And we can talk about how this relates to people that are that are uh, divorced or serial monogamous. And uh, we will jump right in. But first, let's take a break and talk about one of today's sponsors, Talkspace. Talkspace is an online therapy company that will allow you to choose from thousands of certified and vetted therapists where you can communicate with them directly through your phone, through text, email, video chat, or voice. And it's super easy to do. And obviously, you're listening to this podcast, so you want relationship advice, whether you're in a rut or you just want to take your relationship to the next level. Talking with a therapist is the best way to get there besides listening to I Do Podcasts. So if you want to sign up today, head on over to Talkspace.com forward slash I Do and get $30 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com forward slash I Do and enter the promo code I Do. Talkspace, therapy for how we live today. Zola is a wedding company that's reinventing the wedding registry and planning process to make the happiest moments in a couple's life even happier. Zola Registry has everything that you love about your favorite department stores, plus things like honeymoon funds, fitness classes, wine subscriptions, which I love, and much more. Sarah was on the Zola website helping her friend Jess, who's getting married in the spring, and she was telling me how much. She loved how easy and convenient it was to use. And not only is it easy, but it's free and it's fun and it's online shopping. And here in Costa Rica, there aren't exactly shopping malls everywhere. So Sarah got to exercise her shopping 
gene and get that out of our system. Well, it's not really shopping. I'm just helping Jess pick the items on her registry, but it is so fun. And Zola also has a free suite of wedding planning tools, including a free wedding website, customizable checklists, and a guest list manager. And all of those tools can be managed right from the Zola Weddings app. So no messing with a printer or running around with a huge wedding binder. It's all in the app. To sign up with Zola and receive a $50 credit towards your registry, go to Zola.com forward slash I do. That's Zola, Z-O-L-A.com forward slash I do to get a $50 credit towards your registry. What is one tool or practice a listener can use on a daily basis to help improve their relationship while uh, they're dating with kids? One tool. Hmm. Well, I'd say what we know is have dinner, have, have dinners are great. I, I, you know, I can't tell you enough to turn off the, turn off the television, <laughs> get everyone sitting down around food. I study, I study cultures on five continents and I can say one of the most consistent things that makes our kids resilient and attached and calm is those mealtime routines. Absolutely. Three times a week, Make sure you're connecting over a meal. It, everyone loves to, loves to eat. Uh, it, it's a focus. You don't have to have as much conversation. And it's, you know, it's, there's so many benefits, not to mention your kids will get a decent meal and uh, probably develop some better eating habits and all that kind of stuff. And your husband's quality family time. Turn off the turn off the uh, the the um, electronic gadgets and focus in on the food. I love that. I think that's so important nowadays, especially with technology being such a part, a huge part of our lives. That being able to disconnect with technology and connect with our kids is so important. And that's actually been the first time we've heard that uh, that tip. So I love it. I hear I hear from kids themselves how often they complain, and this is interesting. They complain about their parents, and that they say that they're being digitally neglected. In other words, it's their parents who won't turn off their cell phones, won't, you know, won't turn off the computers, won't get off the Facebook. The kids actually would welcome the opportunity to shut down and be a little more one-on-one time. But it's often the parents who sort of are not kind of initiating that, which I found at first, I didn't believe it. But you start hearing this from kid to kid, you go, wow, we do have a problem when that's starting to happen. That's pretty incredible. And, and yeah. It is definitely going to hopefully not necessarily become more and more of a problem, but just more and more a part of our life. So important to be aware of and and set that time aside. No phones, no tablet, no virtual reality, whatever's coming up next (laughs) at the dinner table. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a book or resource you can recommend for parents who are dating? Well, there's... There's um, lots of stuff written uh, uh, about sort of topics like this. I certainly, I mean, when I wrote I Still Love You, Nine Things That Trouble Kids Need from Their Parents, I was thinking about kids who were, you know, struggling. And a lot of the things I'm talking about, like whether it's relationships and structure and a sense of belonging and control, I talk about in that book um, that, you know, just tries to make, make the case that that's kind of what we need. Um, for for our children, um, uh, but in terms of other good books, I always say to people just you know just you know go online or go to your local bookstore and browse the shelves. Just see what topic catches you because every family is so unique. Um, 
But the one, the books I will sort of say, you know, just try and avoid ones that promise quick fixes. If you've got the infomercial that says, you know, you're going to fix your kid in three minutes or less, you're probably being conned because <laughs> kids, kids, you know, I can't fix my car in three minutes or less. I'm certainly not going to fix my kid. So I tend to, I tend to say, go and browse, browse a little bit, uh, uh, see what profile of child you have. Because, you know, if we're talking about a child with a bit of anxiety mixed in with the separation and loss, that's quite a different profile than a, a rambunctious, gregarious child who's just, you know, open for anything, uh, who loves having lots of new people in their lives. Um, and those two children are going to react very, very differently to these kinds of, um, these kinds of experiences. Um, I know there's some great blog sites. Of course, yourselves, you, you have amazing uh, networks of, of, of professional resources as well. Um, I know I'm psychology today. I also, uh, uh, blog there, but also a lot of my colleagues there. Um, the American association for marital and family therapy is a great resource. If you need more, you know, if you really want to reach out for a good family therapist in, in your neighborhood. Um, but, but essentially that I'm, I'm, I'm big into sort of bibliotherapy and, you know, read a bit, go around, ask questions, but make sure you t- it's tailored to your particular family's needs. Excellent. Well, all those links will be on um, your show notes page. So we appreciate that. Our next question, we normally ask um, what advice you'd give newlyweds. But since this is a little bit of a different topic, is there any advice uh, specifically that you would give um, people who are divorced with kids? Well, actually, can I can I take the first question? Sure, because yeah. maybe not newlyweds, but let's face it, if 50% of marriages are going to end up yeah. in, in a divorce... Um, then there's going to be a lot of remarriages as well, and a lot of remarriages with children at the ceremonies. And again, if you think back to some of the topics that we've just talked about, control, identity, sense of belonging, you know, the best thing we can do in those second, those second marriages is to make sure the children um, are able to influence aspects of the ceremony. It's no longer between two people. It's not even between just two families. It's now between all those children also will have to help decide, um, you know, what some of the, 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 the rituals are. And it's not outrageous to think that the children, in a sense, you know, make some sort of pledge to accept the new partner also as a stepfather or as a stepparent or a stepmother. That, you know, that there's, there's some engagement, some dec- you know, whether it's decorating, whether it's planning, you know, choosing a dress, choosing the, the, the color scheme, whether it's a ceremony or whatever it is. You know, that there's other voices to consider suddenly. And, uh, and the, I mean, the more that that child walks into that ceremony and feels and can point to something and says, I did that. I made that decision. Those table placements or that color scheme or those dresses or something. I controlled that. I made that happen. And it has to be substantial. It has to be real. You give a kid that. And I kind of would bet on the fact that they'll show up and be in a much better mood the day of that second wedding. I, I love that. I think Sarah's smiling and nodding her head. Yeah, that's really great advice. And, and having gone through a, uh, a my mom being remarried and Sarah's mom being married, uh, we can both, I think, relate and appreciate the fact that I, I felt mm-hmm. I was involved. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, so that it's can a good go feeling. a long way. I love it. I'm glad it resonates. That's really nice. Yeah, it's great. What advice would you give our single parents who are looking for a happy relationship? Um, 
Well, <laughs> that's a good question. Um, you know, it's funny as you get as you get as you get older. I think you're. Uh, it's not that you become less picky, but I think you begin to understand that that the person you're going to find is not going to be everything, and that you really need to understand that you know this person is about their own person, and what you're doing is you're bringing together two two distinct lives. It sounds kind of poetic and everything else, but there is that. I think I do think that if you think about our the way we develop our identities and the way those identities. Um, I'm going to say calcify, like like, you know, like like something something oozing out of a rock. But but they they kind of you know they kind of solidify as we get a little bit older, right? And, and who we are and, and our patterns and how we whether you know we double dip into the ice cream or something like that. You know we we are we become habituated and um, uh, creatures of habit for sure. So I think sometimes there's an over. I think if I was encouraging people, young people today, is you know it, it doesn't have the person you're seeking out, make sure that you feel great, that you can both be a, in a sense, a friend and a lover, but that it's also a person that, you know, that, that also has their own life and their own parts of their life. Um, because ultimately those are the things that are going to carry that person through later on. That's who you're, you, you know, if, if it's, if it's, if it's all just about you and them, there's no room to grow. There's no, there's no room to become distinct. And I, and I do think that people probably my advice that I give to newlyweds in a sense is uh, when it is a first relationship where they're looking you know, to understand that you are going to grow in different directions. Everyone does who you are at 20 is not who you're going to be at 40 and that, you know, a good relationship opens up space for those changes. And that in a sense, what happens, I think why well, there's so many divorces and stuff, one, because we're living longer, but that people do change and that sometimes the person you want to do the whole raising the kids and starting the family with at 20 or 25 or 30 is not the same person who you're going to be still in love with at 50, because in fact, they've actually grown in new directions. And I do think we need to start a more intelligent conversation about this. that says, you know, people do change every two or three decades. And then the challenge is, you know, as much as we say, you know, marriage should be forever. It would be nice if that was the case. But the truth is, that for many of those relationships, people grow in, complete, in completely different directions, and it's not always reconcilable where you've grown. Um, and that's not necessarily sad. That can also be celebrated as maybe that's just two life paths that intersected for a while and then moved apart. That is a great little bit to leave our listeners with, to leave us with, and we'll have to have you back on and maybe we can dive into that, how how we change <laughs> as people and how that affects relationships because it is so true and, and relationships can be really complicated and you've given us a lot of great tools for one aspect of a relationship uh, box or whatever you container that is uh, single parents dating that is becoming increasingly more common. There's got to be millions out there who are encountering this. And so thank you for sharing all of this. And we will love to have you back on to talk more about all of these great topics. So why don't we finish up by having you tell our listeners where they can find you online and then we'll say goodbye. Thanks, Chase and Sarah. A wonderful opportunity to be able to share some of these ideas, and especially in the sort of nice, just sort of chat. Um, I'm, I'm at. Uh, you can find out more about my work at uh, michaelunger.com, and it's U-N-G-A-R is the last name, so it's michaelunger.com. 
Um, if you're really a diehard researcher and you want to delve into uh, some more of that stuff, I have another site called uh, resiliencesearch.org. And of course, on Psychology Today, just look me up as a, a, there's some blog, uh, blog space that I can maintain there. And I'm always, always interested in, in learning from people as well. So don't hesitate to stay in touch. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And our listeners know to find all those links on your show notes page. And we appreciate you for taking the time to come on the show. All the best to you. We hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find the links from today's show on our website at idopodcast.com. And while you're on the website, we encourage that you check out some of the free resources that we've created for you guys. One of those is the 14-Day Happy Couple Challenge. And we send you a email every day for 14 days with doable challenges to help strengthen and make your relationship even better. And we've also created cheat sheets and workbooks for your relationship. And you can find all of those on our website. And lastly, our Facebook group, which is the Love Tribe. We encourage all of you guys to join our group there as well. And if you ever have any topic suggestions or ideas for the podcast, please send them our way. You can email us at info at idopodcast.com and we would love to hear from you guys. And we hope you enjoyed today's show.